This week's episode is brought to you by The Disneyland Story by Sam Genoway. It's a great book about the history of Disneyland, and you'll hear more about it during this week's history segment. So go on out and buy it. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I'm pretty sure you did not take a breath in that entire thing there. It just sounded like one long exhale. It was, it's my superpower. Is that your superpower? After th- almost, th- yeah, with three years of doing the show, I can say my intro without taking a breath. You now. should probably trade that in for a new superpower. <laughs> That's <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty bad. One of the worst superpowers I've ever heard in my uh, entire life. It's got to be slightly better than being able to call fish. That's true. Okay. Slightly. Only, that's only see, slightly higher on the scale. See, that, that is the burden I've borne my entire life is because I'm blonde. I always had to play Aquaman as a kid growing up, and that's the worst superhero ever. Well, I mean, it depends. Are we talking about, like, old-school Aquaman? Or, like, the new yeah, 52 the Aquaman school. is pretty, yeah. pretty neat. Well, I, mean, I mean, yeah, Justice League from the 70s. I mean, I'm in the middle of Ohio. There's no water. That's true. I can call fish. That's I mean, a fair come point. on. You're, you are literally a fish out of water there. Ooh. Um, Yes, so, I am. But plus, we're talking about DC Comics, and Disney owns Marvel, so we're probably Ooh. making big no-nos. So before That's we get true. into any more trouble, why don't we jump into our, our special uh, Disney history segment? That's true. That's true. Let's go. It's time for Disney History! So for this week's Disney history, we're going to do things a little bit differently again, again changing it up for the third season, and we're going to bring a special guest on so they can help us a little bit learn about the the mysteries of Main Street, if you will, in, in some ways. And of course, who better to talk about Disneyland than our, our good friend, Sam Genoway. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? Why, thank you very much. I am doing just wonderful. You know, this is like the coolest thing in the world. I, I now realize I've hit the big time <laughs> on Communicore Weekly. This is, you know, I'm, I'm marking this on my calendar. This is good stuff. I'm going to memorize this. This is, uh, thank you. Thank it's, you. It's much. only going to go downhill from here, as we've learned personally. So <laughs> yes, I'm glad yes, yes. this is this is the, the apex for, for well, you well, and everyone. Well, you know, Sam, part of the reason we invited you on, of course, you just recently well not recently it was a few months ago but released a new book that's right it came out uh, end of november so it's okay. uh, i still think it's a new it's book. still recent it's, it's, it's still, still new. really it's new. new it's it's, a, it's the book you should be spending your amazon gift card <laughs> that you got on and it's yeah it's the disneyland story uh the the unofficial guide to the evolution of walt disney's dream so make sure that it has enough words in there so that whatever you're searching for disneyland it hopefully will pop up <laughs> Ooh, and, and that is a marketing tip Directly yeah, and, and, and then the unofficial guide is is kind of the real truism because it is published by Keen Communications, which publishes the unofficial guide to Walt Disney World and Disneyland and Las Vegas and the cruises and the Color Companion book. And so uh, it's it's a great it's a great publisher to to have, you know, because there was a lot of freedom, but it was freedom in such a way where I I know I wouldn't lose my life to the black helicopters of the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm we glad we both have experience in that. 
Yeah, we've had those circling before. So, okay. Yeah. Well, so we wanted to talk, you know, there's so many topics about Disneyland, so many things we could, you know, jump into and spend hours and hours, but we don't have hours, unfortunately. So we wanted to look at Main Street and maybe talk about some of the early sponsors and some of the stranger things that may have happened at Disneyland. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, when you, one of the fun things about this project, writing the book, was going into archives and just sitting on the floor in front of filing cabinets and going through everything. And <laughs> and the very earliest stages of Disneyland, they describe Main Street, I think, a little bit differently than we do today. Uh, to them, uh, the, the, to them, they thought of Main Street actually starting from Harbor Boulevard when you pulled into the parking lot. That was your first impression. And for the first few years, there wasn't a big grand marquee, but the intention was to make make this like a suburban movie theater and you would drive up you would enter into the parking lot and the parking lot would have uniformed ushers that would take your car to its reserved parking space very close to a tram where you only had to walk a matter of feet to get to the front gate which had many many toll booths so that you can pay your entry fee and enter the first act which is the forecourt in front of the floral mickey so this whole experience wow. was designed because uh, Walt recognized that most of the travelers, especially the dads who were driving the cars, would be like nervous wrecks by the time they got <laughs> to the parking lot. Um, George, you understand that, right? Yes, uh, yes, and, totally. And, uh, and, they wanted to, and they wanted to somehow or other sort of have the dads be able to relax. So the whole parking experience was immediately designed to put you uh, at ease and to make you even relax just as you're getting out of the car and stretching and going... <gasps> Well, that was okay. It's well, like a okay. pretty, pretty nice <laughs> VIP experience in a way that they were trying to lay out for you. Exactly. And it started from the very, very get go. It started from the moment you drove in and you had multiple toll booths for the car and you got to get the car and you didn't have to go drive around and search for parking. And then when you went to the front gate, unlike movie theaters of the day where there's maybe one or two toll booths there, you would end up having a bunch of them. So it was very easy to get your ticket. And then once you got through the t turnstile, which there were plenty of to get you into the first lobby in front of the floral Mickey, you can sit there, take a deep breath, relax, and figure out, okay, now what? And your choices are mm -hmm. pretty simple. It's either go back out the front gate, go left or right, <laughs> and you're going underneath the tunnel, and then the whole, mm. you know, the whole Disney magic of Main Street starts. Wow, that's a great idea to bring that in. It makes me wonder, and I know we could jump on another conversation, but maybe think about what happens now with the Walt Disney World experience, where you wanted one gigantic parking lot leave, or leave your car for your entire vacation. Yeah, you know, I think his, then, if you think about it, it would be the equivalent of uh, instead of taking the tram to the front gate, he wanted you to mm -hmm. even have an experience uh, to, towards the front gate. And, and then that experience is the deflected views of either the monorail or the, sure. or the boats. You never really get a real clear shot of the castle spires except for it kind of comes and goes. So, yeah, that was he, he hated the stuff that was growing up around Disneyland at the time. He really, really did. Uh, by the time the early 60s had shown up, uh, what was kind of more focused on Florida and all that stuff anyways and, and because he detested what was growing up around his theme park. Yeah. Definitely. So when when you first nowadays you when you're walking onto Main Street USA at Disneyland and you know mm -hmm. you're seeing everything for the first time you're seeing it through you know through the eyes of someone who hasn't seen anything before what what is the experience that Walt wanted you to have like from the second you stepped onto the street and you know you saw the long street in front of you you saw the castle in the distance what what was his his goal behind that. 
Well, this is a case of it's it's like a film, and it's a sequence of unfolding images. So it really actually starts in that forecourt. You go through the tunnel, and if you think about it, you're in the tunnel. It's just deep enough underneath the railroad track that you never quite grasp a clear view of what's on the other side until you've passed on to the other side. And then once you're through that, that's like the uh, cross dissolve in a movie where you've got a little bit of the tail end of one piece of film over the tail end of another, and you get that little cross dissolve, and there and then you're there. And then they wanted to start like all good movies. So you're stuck way to the side, which gives you that long view. And that long view is complete and total of the 1890s Main Street that they were trying to, to emulate. You don't see anything else other than that. So that's the long view. And then once you walk through Town Square and you get a little closer to the buildings, um, you start to get that mid-shot where you start to say, oh, well, there's a train station and there's, at the time, a big empty building that was supposed to be the opera house. And then there's the coffee where the coffee should be today instead of where they stuck the coffee. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? No, not at all. <laughs> no, okay. Um, we won't fault you for that. Don't worry. You look over there, City Hall, and then for most people, hey, there's the lockers. They were over to the left. Then as you walk towards the flagpole and you walk towards Main Street proper, all of a sudden there's this weird contradiction of a medieval castle way off into the distance, yet the corridor was narrow and it was highly themed and you had wonderful music that was playing and it part started to put you at ease and it got everybody in the family to start thinking the same thing and all sharing the same experience no matter what. And you could only move through that space so quickly before you go on to whatever your next adventure was. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very clever use of space. It was very innovative because that's something that no one ever had done before. No one ever had used a single entrance. All amusement parks and World's Fairs had multiple entrances. That was a huge, huge thing for Walt because he wanted a movie theater, remember? And a movie mm. theater only has one entrance, and the guy who owns the movie theater knows how many people are inside and outside of his movie theater at all times, and that's what Walt wanted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so aside from serving that purpose of you know being the introduction to these magical lands that they'll eventually go into, originally when Disneyland opened, uh, Main Street also served another purpose as it had shops on it much like it does now but these shops were sponsored by outside companies and, were, and some most of them were run by outside companies what what was the reasoning mm -hmm. behind that well, for the first few years, most of the reasoning why they had to go to licensees is because Walt didn't have the experience, nor did he have the money or the patience to, to actually have anybody fill up the stores. He had hired a guy named C.V. Wood. C.V. Wood was the one who worked with Buzz Price to figure out the location for Disneyland. He had worked uh, in the aerospace industry. He was good at getting a whole bunch of people to do exactly the same thing, because that's what you have to know how to do when you're building airplanes during the war. Um, and, and later on. So he was very, very good at that. He knew how to bust people and get them to actually work. And they started, uh, and then they started kind of from there. Now, do you, do you happen to have a favorite of those original uh, licensee shops? Well, there's, there's a few. One of the fun things was that a lot of the shops were real brand names of companies that were around at the time of the setting, which was around the turn of the last century. So they added an authenticity, and Walt really liked that. I mean, he loved the idea that Swift wanted to have a market house and up John Juan in the pharmacy. And some of the early stores, like the pharmacy, were really less stores, and they were really museums to set the tone. And Swift's market house, you could go and you could buy sausages if you want. Of course, I know what you're alluding to, and that would be my favorite, which was the Wizard of Bra store. 
car, Maxwell's uh, lingerie, that lasted for a whopping six months. Um, today, there's a porch that's on Main Street next to the Silhouette Shop, and, and it's a great place to go sit. But the idea that you could go in, you could push a button on a mannequin that had a girdle on it, and it would talk to you and tell you the history of women's lingerie. Well, you know, that was just splendid stuff. And in the very, wow. very early days, you know, Walt did do a tribute to his dad up on one window, but a lot of that was driven by need. And Harper Goff, who is a principal designer of Main Street, said that we just started slapping people's names up there because the shops were empty and we would fill them out later. But, but they learned a lot. You know, they, they Walt learned because of his inquisitiveness, he learned everything he could about what it was like to run the restaurants and, and all this other stuff. And then over just a very few years, they started phasing out all of these licensees to, to become mm. then sponsors. And the whole dynamic changed. A lot of the sponsors were signed up by the C.V. Wood guy, though. That was why he was very, very important. Because if it wasn't for him getting these sponsors, quite honestly, they could have never built the park. That was a huge amount of money that put them over the top to get the thing to work. I always find it that it's it's like a fascinating little snapshot into not just Disneyland, but the culture of America at the time, just seeing the, the licensees that were on Main Street. and just it, it is a nice little window into the past and how things used to be back then. You know, I, I always kind of freak out about Disneyland in the sense that in a way everybody goes, oh my God, it's never changed. It's exactly the same. And at the same time, virtually nothing. After you read this book, you'll realize <laughs> nothing is in the same. I mean, there's like two buildings in Tomorrowland that have survived. The castle has survived. <laughs> you know, but almost everything else has kind of come and gone and changed in certain ways. And when I walk down Main Street, I, I somewhat uh, lament the fact that it isn't, in the sense, those first few years, it was as much a museum as it was shopping. And the shopping experience reinforced the theme of what it would have been like to go back in those times. And I had just recently come back, you know, from seeing the Harry Potter thing at Universal in Florida. And that was the same thing, because the shops mm. just added to the whole atmosphere of, you know, oh, sure. there's weird candies, and there's these clothes, and oh, I can go buy myself a wand. Um, <laughs> and it was the same thing on Main Street. You know, you could go buy lingerie, you could go get a sausage. Um, you know, if you needed coffee, there was a coffee place, and uh, all sorts of really, really weird shops, as you as you'll read in the book that had yeah, kind of come and gone and, and and now you know it's it's basically a big shopping mall that's <laughs> nicely themed and stuff yeah. like that but you know I thank can't... god disneyland at least we have a a movie theater still we have a cinema <laughs> well yeah i mean i can't imagine you know thinking yeah let's go to disneyland and get some sausage and try on some lingerie and okay yeah, never mind. Well, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I've ever said that to myself <laughs> when I went to Disneyland. You didn't, grow up, you didn't grow up out here, so you didn't realize at the time. True. Like, people went out and they bought uh, Pendleton Fabrics. Uh, because in the Frontierland, there was a shop that sold bolts of Pendleton fabric because yeah, Lillian yeah. Disney loved Pendleton. So they made a deal with Pendleton. It was one of Walt's ways, schemes of getting his wife to go to the park so that she can buy fabric and stuff. <laughs> so, no, you know what? My mom used to go there every once in a while uh, to buy Pendleton fabric because it was a great selection. Oh, that's fantastic. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, was, I was getting ready to say, you know, um, we reviewed the book many, many moons ago on the show. And it was we towards both, the end of season two we reviewed it, right? Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. yes. And we both thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, we gave it two Communicore thumbs up. And, uh, you know, we're, we're glad to bring you on the show to talk a little bit about Main Street and to tease people into picking up a copy of the Disneyland story just so they can, uh, you know, experience all this for themselves as well. And if you want to give it one more plug, Sam, before we jump off, feel free. 
Uh, thank you. I, I just this has been a blast. You guys are you're really fun, and it's it's a, been a great discussion. Yeah, I, my intention is is that it's a biography of Disneyland. Uh, Walt really had three kids. He had his daughter Sharon, Diane, and Disneyland. Well, his son, I would think Disneyland was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he didn't get to see Disneyland uh, through its entire life. So I've always been surprised that the thing survived since then. You'll never look at the park the same way again. You'll get all sorts of facts, and you can show off to your friends. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> That's what we are all about on Communicore Weekly. So Showing off, number one priority. You know it, you know it. But but the book's available anywhere at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, and you can sell them copies yourself, right? That's right. If you would like, just I have a, a Facebook page, The Disneyland Story, The Unofficial Guide. Oh. So please like me. And then I can learn all the social media stuff uh, and get it figured out. <laughs> well, Sam, thank you very much again for coming on the show. We both thank appreciate you. it, and I'm sure the cadets appreciate it too. But uh, we'll have to, we'll definitely have to have you back on again. It, I mean, we've been doing the show for two years, and this is the first time you've been on the show. So that's, true. that's a problem, I think. <laughs> I <think> so too. <laughs> so we'll have you get back for sure. Excellent. Thank you guys very much. Appreciate it. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Okay, so when there's a new Bamboo Force publishing release that Jeff's had his hand in, I usually try some elaborate trick or plan to get him out of the room so that I can discuss it without him, you know, without his eyes. And I did some air quotes, uh, you know, on me, making me feel bad about, you know. Are you, are you saying I have to leave the room for this one? No, 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 because I actually want to ask you a few questions at the end of the review to you know, get people more interested and excited about the project and how it happened. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, we could do. Yes, I mean, we... I have laundry I could do too. But if you want me to, <laughs> if you want me to wait, that's fine. I'll wait. <laughs> yeah, airing out your dirty laundry. Yes, exactly. Um, so this week we're talking about Volume Three of More Cute Stories, uh, Museum of the Weird by Rolly Crump. And this one, it's a, it's another audio release that you can download from CD Baby and Amazon and iTunes. Uh, this one focuses obviously on the Museum of the Weird and ties in very nicely with Marvel's latest comic book, Seekers of the Weird, which was inspired heavily by Rowley's concept work and ideas. And just like volume one and two of the more cute stories, I found these stories really captivating and eye-opening. Hearing the stories about the museum and the people that worked on it with him are truly priceless. Uh, Rowley talks about how the museum developed working with Walt and the other artists on the on the design of the museum. And he even gives us a walkthrough of what it was supposed to be. And that is pretty amazing itself. So any fan of the mansion or the museum is going to love getting this in-depth tour from Rolly. And as I mentioned at the very beginning of this very short review, you can pretty much pick it up anywhere you can buy an MP3 or an audio CD. And I wanted to throw a few questions at Jeff. Oh, and before I finish, it is incredible and I loved it. And everybody needs to add it to their collection as well. Okay, so Jeff, the Museum of the World, the weird, not the world, that's something different that you're working on, I know. You give away my secrets. What are you doing? I I could know, but this don't tell me anything. Oh, that's that's it. I'm not it's not gonna tell you anything from now on. Alright, so the the Museum of the Weird is pretty much legendary now in Disney Circles, and I know um, we both listened to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a podcast about B- Disneyland a few months ago, and they mentioned the Museum of the Weird in it. And so this idea has been around for 50 years. Why do you think there's been such a sudden interest in it recently? Um, I think maybe because it's you know still one of those great unbuilt attractions 
that that never happened. I mean, it, it's always been something that me personally I've been interested in. I mean, that's why I even say in the intro of the CD, like it's the yeah. reason why I started to like Rolly to begin with. But I I think maybe because it's such a bizarre concept and a lot of stuff nowadays that we're seeing at the parks is so like recycled ideas and you know the same stuff over and over again that people are really looking for something a little different and a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think maybe that's why it's coming back to the forefront again. Yeah, and you know, you said it's weird, and we don't see a lot of weird stuff at Disney, but what was amazing was Walt was so behind He was into it, it. yeah. Yeah, he loved it, and so, you know, uh, perpetually this could have been something that we had seen. So, well, you know, how does Rolly personally feel about all of his ideas being used now, you know, 50 years later? I, I Well, I mean, it, it depends on, on how you ask him and, and the time of day, I guess, how he feels about <laughs> it. Um, but I, I, he is happy that, you know, granted, these are ideas that he had, like you said, a long time ago. I think he's he's just happy that they're being used in some way, shape, or form now. And even though, you know, right now it's just a comic book, he's hoping that maybe that, be, you know, if it becomes really popular, that they will do something else with it. Maybe they will make some sort of attraction out of it again. Wow, I'm not saying anything, but, you know, converting Pirate Island, Pirate Lair at Disneyland might be pretty cool. I don't know. I mean... They have uh, Island of the Weird. Paradise Pier in in California Adventure would almost be a perfect kind of fit for that kind of thing now. I mean, take out all those shops that they have there, because really, do they need any more shops? And I think it'd be a great little addition to that that area. Yeah, we don't don't want a blue sky, because then Imagineering won't use it. That's true. Forget okay, well, everything I just said. <laughs> exactly. We'll have, to, we'll have to scratch that. So this is the third volume that you guys have done. You know, Tell us a little bit about what it's like uh, visiting, hanging out with Rolly while you record these stories. Uh, well, it's always awesome, obviously. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, we, we've been planning these in advance, obviously. Like, volume 2, the, one, the animators and Imagineers, uh, he had a list of like 75 names that he wanted to talk about that we just had to oh, like, cut wow. down. Um, so it's not like we're just sitting down and having conversations and that's how these things come up. We're actually planning these out and, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I always go to the recordings and he has a list of like just little bullet points, maybe with a word or two. And those word or two will turn into, you know, a 20 minute tale about something. (laughs) And it just totally blows my mind because I thought I heard it all before and clearly I didn't, um, (laughs) So I don't know. It's cool for me, just just as a huge Disney nerd, and also because you know I get to help him share these stories with everyone else. Oh yeah, and I think that's what I've always pushed and enjoyed so much about these uh, the more cute stories and all of the reviews I've done is number one, hearing Rolly's voice. We don't get to hear a lot of Disney legends in their own voice tell these tales. Yeah, exactly. Hearing hearing his smile, you can tell when that man is smiling, and he's remembering something that's was just, you know, uh, stupendous or amazing or such a great part of his life. And he's so glad that he's sharing it with us. It's funny you say that because I I guess because I'm there when we record it, I don't notice that in the recording because I'm actually seeing him and I'm seeing him smile. But the fact that you you are saying that you can hear it, Mm -hmm. that that to me, that means a lot. I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's one thing I've always enjoyed about is hearing it from his voice. Um, You know, before we end the review, did you, were you able or are you able to give us any hints about what you guys might be doing in the future with it uh for future volumes you mean mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah yeah we we definitely want to do another animators and imagineers because he has way more people to talk about um <laughs> we absolutely want to talk about epcot and everything he did for epcot because oh, gosh, let's face yeah. it we are epcot nerds uh the show's called communicore weekly um mm-hmm. 
and we're thinking about doing a Berry Tales also. I mean, as long as he wants to keep talking, we'll keep recording and uh, sharing it with everybody else. Yeah, you know, you brought up an interesting point that we call Communicore Weekly, because if we would have opened the show like a year later, it might have been Enchanted Tales with Bell Weekly. Yeah, and that would have been a really weird title. I don't, I yeah, don't really think I like that one. Yeah, fit. Yeah, that's okay. I like the attraction, because Belle's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give her that, but not not a podco- <laughs> podcast name worthy attraction. I'm sorry. Okay, before I took us off the rails, um, we'll make sure everybody picks up a copy of More Cute Stories, Volume 3, Museum of the Weird. And you can find it at Amazon, iTunes, and CD Baby. And uh, if they meet you in the park, can you sell them at Disneyland? Uh, I probably won't have any on me. I don't have any physical <laughs> copies. But I can tell you a couple <laughs> stories if you want. Do it that way. So, but yeah, make sure you grab your copy now. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So over in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, they have a pirate's adventure, Treasures of the Seven Seas, which is the the brand new interactive game for guests in Adventureland. Now, in Caribbean Plaza, uh, there's an area formerly known as the Caribbean Arcade, and in there, there are a couple of tributes to other interactive games that are played at Epcot in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, First, there's a medallion with a ribbon on it, and that refers to the Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom game, which is played at the Magic Kingdom. Uh, There's also an oval medallion that references the former Kim Possible World Showcase Adventure at Epcot because it has that logo on it. And also, there is a a creepy-looking skull with a fedora on it. Um, A little little bit morbid, yes, Um, but when you look at it, you go, oh... There you are, Perry. So, of course, it's it's a tribute to our favorite platypus uh, from Phineas and Ferb, which is also, he's, he's the star of Agent P's World Showcase Adventure at Epcot now. Yeah, so those are some interesting five-legged goats. I was going to try to work a skull reference in there, but there was absolutely no way. We could no have just way. said platypi, because that's Five-legged plural, right? platypi? That's, yeah, that's I would go with that one. Okay. Yeah, that could do it. That sure. could do it, so... Anyway, so we've, we've reached the end of another episode, and before we jumped out, we wanted to thank Sam for coming on, and don't forget you can pick up a copy of his new book, The Disneyland Story, at Retails Everywhere, because apparently he's got cats that need shoes or something. Yeah, uh, something like that. Something like know. that, so I don't know, but guys, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to us. Yes, be sure to leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Yep, and you can always email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. And follow us or stalk us, your choice, on Twitter and Instagram. Both the same names. I'm at Imagine Nerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can call the Communicore Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. Yep, and in case you've been living under a proverbial rock, because there are proverbial rocks, I've seen them, don't forget to pick up a copy of Communicore Weekly, the musical. That's right, we did a musical and it is amazing, and you need to pick it up now. Uh, so for Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much, guys, for listening and tuning in. We like you guys. Thanks thanks for that. But we'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Penny. <laughs> <laughs>